All right, if you take your Bibles together with me this morning, we're going to look in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2. And I'll read this whole passage, content, context, beginning of verse 11 through verse 14. And I've been preaching from this so long I can't remember how long it's been. But there's some awesome truth that are found in these verses of Scripture. Beginning in verse 11, as the Lord blesses His Word as He sees fit, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works." Now, as you know, if you've participated in the lessons to this point, that what I've been doing is emphasizing something that Jesus came into this world to do. What he came to die for. That he might purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's been the theme statement through all of these. And of course, for some time now, I've been pointing out some marks of those people. And the marks of those people have been this, from this context. Not all the marks of God's people, but just from this context. They are teachable. They are godly. They are assured and confident in their relationship with Jesus Christ because they're looking for Him to come back. And this last one... They are zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Now I'm not making this up. This is not my opinion. This is coming from the Word of God. Now all of us that have known the Lord for any period of time, we understand something. When we first come to know the Lord, when we're first born again, we're babes in Christ. The Bible tells us that. And so there's... A lot of these things that are not present or known in the life of a person who first comes to know the Lord. I know that from my own experience. I know it from what the Bible teaches. But in time, and you remember the passage that I love and quote so often, Paul said, being confident in this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If he starts it, he's going to finish it. And so the experience of the Christian, if we continue to live on and uh, we continue to grow in Christ, then we begin to see these things develop in our life. They are true. This is what the Lord is doing. He is purifying unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what Jesus came to do. And they are His people. That's what peculiar means. His own possession. Cherished people. And He is 
in the process of calling out his people from this world, working his grace in their life, teaching them how to live for him, and then one day he's going to live with them throughout all eternity. Sometimes we don't think about his side of the story. We think about our experience. We think about what it's going to be like for me one day. Uh, Brother Moore made a comment about that a while ago, that one day he was going to be all right. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought that was neat uh, related to the conversation we was ha- having in that. We think about our experience, but we rarely ever, I, I believe I can speak for everybody, we rarely ever think about our Lord and what he's doing that we were given to him in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. And in his purpose and plan, he actually was crucified before the foundation of the world. He paid the price to redeem unto himself and to uh, redeem them from all iniquity and to work his grace in their life to bring them to his purpose and his will. So this morning, I want to focus on that last statement, being zealous of good works. Now, I've thought a whole lot about that. Matter of fact, I thought so much about that all through this whole process that I thought, now how am I going to be able to preach a sermon on that one statement? Uh, and, And I thought, well, I've already said so much about it, I should just mention it and go on. But it's just a wonderful thought to me that we can come to the place in our experience where we know the Lord is working. We know that. We experience that. And so the message that I brought about being assured and being confident of our relationship with Him to the point to be able to look for His return, that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our Lord. And I know, I know this from the testimony of people that I've talked to over the years. Not everybody is there. Not everyone is there. There are people who fear that time to come because they have no clue what their personal relationship with Jesus is. And I want to challenge you this morning to be about the process because that's just what the Bible is talking about. So, uh, there's a whole lot I could say about zeal and being zealous. You know, I've known a lot of people over the years who were zealous. They were zealots. They were zealous of of their service for the Lord, zealous of good works, zealous of ways that they might honor and glorify the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I know what that is. I know that's something that shows. It shows in many of you. In some of you, I look really hard for it. I have a hard time seeing it. You say, but preacher, you're not supposed to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm a fruit inspector. The Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And so, he means for us to bear fruit. I thought about how closely related this was uh, to the messages I've been bringing from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11. I'm going to do it again tonight. And it is being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. You know, if you want to praise Him and glorify Him, 
I know what you'll do. You will seek to do those things that honor him and glorify him and promote his kingdom and cause. And you will be one uh, that this description is about. Zealous of good works. There's a lot of zeal in the world. A lot of zeal. There's people who are zealous of all kinds of things. There are people that put everything they've got into this or that or the other Things that one day really and truly won't amount to anything. Like that cliche I share all the time, you know, if it's not going to matter a hundred years from now, it oughtn't to matter that much now. You know, you think about that. How much wisdom there is in that. So we live in a world that's full of zeal. I want you to know this morning, we live in a world that has zeal, uh, zeal, uh, that has zeal or zealous for their religion. For their religion. Now I'm talking, I'm using that term, uh, not to, uh, not to describe what true religion is. There is true religion. And then there is religion that is not. And I include all kinds when I say that. Not just Christianity, but all religions. I'm sure that most of you, like myself, you're familiar with a lot of the religions of the world. And you know what I mean when I say uh, many of them are zealous, zealous in their religion. They're so zealous, some of them are, that they would kill you if they could in the name of their religion. There's zeal everywhere and there's religion everywhere, but there's only one that is true and according to the Word of God. I want to I mention just a little bit uh, that wrong zeal, wrong zeal, there is false religion, false religion. And there can be a great zeal for false religion. You know, it makes me wonder sometime, and I've known many over the years to have great zeal for false religion. You say, well, preacher, are you judging? No, I'm talking about what the Bible says. That's the standard. That's the standard by which we measure literally everything in our world. We measure it by the Word of God. We just measure it by the Word of God. That's what we do. And so there can be a great zeal for false religion and being false because it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Let me just share with you a couple of passages of Scripture that I think that show that. First one I want to share with you is in the book of Romans. I know you're familiar with this. It's in the 10th chapter, and Paul is talking about uh, his Jewish people and friends and uh, associates in the 10th chapter, and he says some really strong uh, words related to them. I want you to listen to this. In chapter 10 and beginning in verse number 1, Paul says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be saved. Well, you say, but preacher, weren't they zealous in their religion? Boy, they were. This is one of the best illustrations that we find in the Bible is the Jews' religion. Judaism uh, their Old Testament religion. Now here Paul goes on to, to, to explain what he's talking about. 
He says in verse 2, For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God. There it is. They have a zeal. They have a zeal of God. But not according to knowledge. So what I said a while ago is true that there are people in the world who have a great zeal for their religion. But it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to what the Bible has to say about that. He goes on to explain, and I want to tell you the world is full of these. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In other words, what he's saying there is that they are going with the law, they're keeping the law, and, and what they were ignorant of is that if you keep one part of the law, the Bible says you have to keep all of it perfectly. Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> I may just rear back and let her go here in a minute. I never had that happen to me before when I was preaching. <laughs> I must be allergic to uh, one of you. Bill probably is the one. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. But they were going about... Now here's what this means. Listen to me. If you're saved, it means that... Christ has not only paid the penalty of your sin for you on the cross of Calvary. He suffered your eternity in hell. That's what He did. He, he took that upon Himself that you might be right with God. But not only did He do that, but He imputed to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? That is such a powerful message and that's the only hope I've got. It is the only hope I have. That He died for me, He paid the penalty of my sin, and His righteousness was imputed uh, to me. And so, I, I love that. That's the true gospel there. But there was those that were uh, Paul's Jewish brothers and sisters who were going about to establish their own righteousness. In other words, it's like saying, okay, I want to go to heaven when I die. So I'm going to be just as good as I can. I'm going to do as much good as I can. I'm going to do as many good works as I can. So one day when God weighs the good against the bad, I've done enough good that I'm going to make it in. That's false. That is not true. And I will tell you, if you're depending on that, all of those works are not acceptable to God. None of them. Not one of them are. That's not good works. It's not good works. But anyway, this is one of the groups that had a zeal. Now Paul shares his own testimony in this. And what he says is that at one time he had that too. He had that same zeal. In the book of Galatians in chapter number 1, he had that zeal. That zeal for his religion. And boy, I tell you what, I've, I've known people that I wish that some Christians that I know had as much zeal for the truth in their own life and their desire 
to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. And he's sharing his testimony in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my conversation in times past. Now that is way of life. That's what that word conversation in your King James Version means. My manner of life. The way I lived my life. He said in times past, in the Jews' religion. In the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Now We know that story well. We know that's what Paul was doing. He was going out and dragging Christians in to be tried and, and uh, ruined and wasted and killed. And he said in verse 14, And I profited in the Jews' religion among, above many of my equals in my own nation. Listen, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. What was he? I, I want to tell you something. He might have done a very terrible thing in persecuting the church. But he says here, I was exceedingly zealous in what I was doing. Exceedingly zealous. Can you imagine somebody that would want to persecute Christians and being exceeding, exceedingly zealous of that? Well, they're in the world today. They're in the world today. They're in our own country. There are those who are not even, don't even ha claim any religion that hate Christians. They hate Christians and they hate the Bible and they hate what we stand for so bad they'd like to just do away with us completely. And they've, they've been here, listen, it's called spiritual warfare and in the United States of America it gets worse and worse as time goes on. Worse and worse as time goes on. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to ruin, finish ruining. It already has to a great uh, degree our country. And it's going to keep on until it finishes it off if there isn't a great change that's going to come about. And oh, I'm praying for that change to come about. I'm praying for it. I'll tell you a little bit of my thoughts related to that. I believe that, I sincerely believe as a matter of fact, I believe it so much that I'm going to make this remark. You better hang on. Let me tell you something about revival in America. There was a great revival in times past that was called a great awakening. Revival doesn't come about apart from a great awakening. Whether it's in a nation or in a church or in an individual's own experience, a great awakening. I say this all the time. You know, why don't people come to the Lord? Why, why aren't people being saved? Well, they're not being saved because they've not woke up yet. <laughs> they don't know yet that they need it. They think they're going to be alright somehow or another in the end. But a great awakening. And I want to tell you something. I've had people make these remarks to me. As a matter of fact, uh, just a week or two ago on Wednesday night, one of the men came to me and talked to me about this. You know, he asked a question. He said, Preacher, what do you think about the, the decline of America? He was talking about spiritually. The decline. And it is. It really is. 
And we talked for quite some time. And he asked me the question, do you think this means that maybe the Lord's going to come back soon? And I said, well, it very well could. Or it could mean that we're fixing to get woke up. How many of you know this? That sometimes you don't wake up until tragedy strikes. Do you understand that? Oh, I've heard so many testimonies along that way. Some of you here this morning may could say, Preacher, I'm one of them. I never woke up until tragedy struck. And I, I want to tell you something. What if that's true of America? What if it's going to take, what would it take? You, I ask you that question. What would it take? And I want to tell you something. You better brace yourself. Because my prayer and the prayers of many others down through the years for our great land, our country, that I believe was established on godly principles and God's hand was in it all along. I, I, I'm concerned. You say, what, preacher, what's the greatest concern? I'm looking out here today and I see a lot of young people. Thank God for them. Amen. Thank God for our young people. And you know what I think all the time about the country they're growing up in. And it's, going, it's different. But it is greatly different than it was when I was the age of some of these young people. There are things in the average conversation in America today that I wouldn't have known anything about it, what it was. I make the remark every once in a while. One day I learned this word. It was pot. Well, when I was little, uh, pot was what sat beside the bed at night because it was a long way to the outhouse <laughs> in the wintertime. <laughs> Anybody here had any experience like that? Why, sure some of you have. I know. So I didn't know what pot was. <laughs> and then one day, I learned what, boy, and it's got a whole lot worse than that. I heard the other day there's so much fentanyl coming across our southern border that it's killing people by the masses. What in the world's wrong with us? You don't have a country if you don't have a border. That's just a fact. That's not a political statement. It's just a fact. And the, you know what I know? I know there are people in charge. They really don't care. They, they just want to change everything. And I'm telling you, change it for the worse. And so that's why I say, I pray for revival in America, and it may take a great awakening for it to come about. And I hope you'd pray with me too for revival in America. I love our country. I really do. I was willing during the Vietnam conflict to go sign on the line, buddy, and go. And there are many of you that did the same thing. You served your country. And uh, I, I love America. And I'm concerned about all these young people and, and what the country they're growing up in. So please pray and brace yourself. <laughs> I mean that with the bottom of my heart. Pray and embrace yourself. And by the way, revival, let me tell you something about it. And I've studied it over the years. I've done a lot of studying in church history. And uh, revival don't happen from the top down. It starts from the bottom up. Amen, Brother Moore. It really, really does. In other words, the leaders of our land, they're not going to initiate it. I don't believe. They could if God worked in their heart, of course. If this grace that I've been preaching about did. 
But it starts at the bottom and it works its way up. You say, well, preacher, that's exciting. It could begin with us. And it could. You know what I thought this morning when I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and all these marks that are here in this passage? I thought, what, what if the Lord were to impress on people's heart about being zealous of good works to the point that they begin to say, Lord, I know I'm lacking. I know I fall short. I know my priorities are wrong. And please help me, dear Lord, that I may be zealous of good works. I can preach on good works, which I probably will say some more about that, what that is. What you'd be surprised with is this, what it's not. You'd be surprised. Did you know that good works are rare? When you define good works by the Bible, they're rare. If you define good works uh, yourself, what you think it is, or what we think it is in each other, then we'll make a lot of things good works, right? And uh, But when you define it by the Bible, they're rare. You have to go a long way to find them. They're rare. And I thought to myself, what if we began to pray that prayer? What if we did that? What if we really did? Now you might say, preacher, you do good works. You ought to be satisfied. No, I'm not. I, I, Lord, don't ever let me be satisfied. I, don't, I want to do more. I want to do more for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to glorify Him. I want to be filled with the fruits of righteousness in my life. That's my desire. And Lord, don't never let me get satisfied. I want more. I really do. And I, I think. And you say, preacher, revival in America couldn't begin at little old Emmanuel Baptist Church. Oh, yes, it could. Because let me tell you something about zeal. And I've experienced this over the years. And I thank my God that I have. I've seen zeal break out. And you know something? It's contagious. It'll spread like wildfire. It's contagious. Sue and Shonda and Addison and Greg and Peggy and some of you. I don't mean to leave him by out. You know what happened one time many years ago. I became the pastor of a church that's running about 15 in Sunday school and the building's about ready to fall down. Well, I didn't know what to do, so what I started doing was I strapped on my tool belt, got my ladders and stuff out, and I started working. Well, one day this car stopped. This fellow got out and he introduced himself. He said, I'm not a member of the church, but I, I like what you're doing. Can I help? He said, I got some material down here. I'll give it to you. And that started happening. The next thing we knew, I was baptizing people like crazy. And the church grew from 15 in Sunday school to 100 in Sunday school. Oh, Peggy and Cecil too. I mean, uh, Gail and Cecil. Well, Peggy and Cecil too. That's okay. But anyway, they, they know what I'm talking about. People, zeal will spread. But the bad thing about it is, the lack of it will too. 
I want to tell you something. You let people start laying down and, and not caring uh, about priorities in their life. And you know what it'll do? It'll spread. I, I, I've known, I've known a men in their family to begin to backslide and the next thing you knew, their whole family was backslidden. I know that. I've seen it happen. I've watched it. I've watched it. And so the opposite of that will spread too. Zeal is a contagious thing. On, in my study at home, there's a statement on the, on the wall. I pinned it up there. Uh, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said, you catch on fire for the Lord and it'll start spreading. There'll be a, a lot of fire for the Lord. And you know, I've often prayed, Lord, help me to be zealous enough for Your honor and Your glory that people will want, to, want that to be true in their life too. And zeal sometimes can be uh, misdirected. So Paul said that in the book of Galatians. Now let me show you another one where he said that. In the book of Philippians, turn on over a page or two, and this is uh, in chapter 3 in the book of Philippians, talking about a zeal that's the wrong kind of zeal. Wrong kind. Here's what Paul said, and uh, in verse 3, he's talking about, well, well, I'll just start in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing unto you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Then he gives this warning. He says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Uh, and so he goes on to say in verse 3, For we are, talking about he's a Jew now, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Good works don't come from the flesh. They never will. And here's what he says. Though I might also have I could have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he begins to list it. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And listen to this. Concerning zeal. And what he's saying is, not only did I believe that way, but I had zeal. I had zeal. Persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So he says, I was wrong, but I had zeal in my wrong. That's what he's saying. So people can have zeal. They can have zeal in things that really do not honor and glorify God. And you know, there's zeal that's good in itself. Somebody might have uh, zeal because they're concerned about the well-being of others. And you can have that zeal and it not be for God. It cannot be for truth. It may be because... You desire to be praised for what you do. Uh, you, you may have zeal. I, I've, I've heard people talk. I've, had, I've, I've been attended funerals before. I wasn't preaching or it wouldn't happen. 
but they would talk about so and so and maybe say, well, they served their country and they were so faithful and loyal in the service of their country and in essence were saying they sh- they're probably going to heaven because of that. So they can be a zeal for all kinds of things that are not a zeal in the right way. So talking about zeal, talking about zeal, we need to be careful that it's for the right reason and all that God may give us more. Now this matter of good works, it says a zeal for good works. I want to do good works. Well, there's a shortage of good works in our world, and when we define good works by the Bible, we learn that right quickly. There are no good works unless they are commanded of God. Unless they're commanded of God. Now, As I said, there's a lot of people who do good works and what they're hoping is that they will merit, count for their salvation, that one day they can go to heaven because they do good works. So there's there's people who do a lot of good works. Matter of fact, I know a person, I've witnessed to him and half for years off and on. And you know what? He'll just about always say, well, you know, I've done a lot for people over the years you know, I've helped a lot of people that were down and out over the years and things like that. And they're good in their self, in themselves. Good work. They're good in themselves, but they don't count. Let me share with you an illustration about that. In the book of Luke and in the 18th chapter, and I know you all are familiar uh, with this uh, passage of Scripture. In the 18th chapter, and I'm going to just start reading in verse number 9. In the 18th chapter, in verse number 9, now, there's no good works apart from those that are commanded of God. And I want to tell you, God never commanded no, no one to do good works in order to be saved. He did not. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we're not saved by our works. Not saved by our works. And so, in this passage of Scripture, listen to these words. And Jesus, talking about Jesus, He spake a parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. In other words, what's meant by that was, I'm better than you. And that was the Pharisees, you see. And listen to what He said. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Now, he wasn't a Republican. He was just a publican. (laughs) He was a tax collector is what he was. And uh, the Pharisee, now listen to this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He wasn't praying to God. He was praying with himself. Have you ever prayed prayed a prayer and think, well, I don't think that got any higher in the ceiling? (laughs) Well, sometimes that will happen. But he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know what happened when you get to thinking that your good works are going to get you to heaven? You're going to, you'll find out that you're thinking you're better than others. That's what will happen. It'll, it'll start, it lifts you up in pride, and God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then he began to list it. He said, I fast twice in a week. 
Well, you might say, well, God commanded fasting. Well, He did, but not for this reason. Not for this reason at all. I fast twice in a week. I tithe of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this about them too. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. So God didn't command his works. He commanded them, but not for that reason, you see. Not for that reason. And as I, that passage of Scripture that I read in Romans chapter 10, they're ignorant of God's righteousness and go about to establish their own. There are no good works if they are not commanded of God. And so we can do good works and we can do it for, uh, for a wrong reason. So we should say, Lord, help me that I understand what kind of works. And there are many other uh, things. Time was not going to permit me to address them. There are good works. There are no good works apart from a right motive. And part of that I've already addressed. No good works apart from faith. No good works apart from promoting and advancing Christ's kingdom and cause. That really ought to be the basis of them. Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians and chapter 14, I think it was. He said, Seeing you're zealous of good works, seek that you might excel to the edifying or building up of the church. You say, Preacher, I think that I need to be part of promoting His kingdom and cause in this world. You can't separate that from His church. From His church. Are you doing everything you can to edify the church? Build it up? How do you do that, preacher? Well, you do it by your presence and your uh, participation however you can to grow and edify His church because you're advancing His kingdom. You say, preacher, that's not what the kingdom and cause is. Oh, yes, it is. Where do you think the church came from? Who, start, who established the church? Jesus Christ did for His glory and His praise. Father, we thank You and we praise You because You tell us what uh, the result of Your grace working in people's lives are. It makes us teachable. It makes us godly. It makes us assured, and it makes us zealous. Help us to be zealous, O oh God, in a right way and in a good way. And Lord, if you're speaking to anyone's heart today about that, maybe someone is thinking, maybe I'm not as zealous as I should be. Maybe I'm zealous of a whole lot of other things in life other than His honor and His glory. Speak to our hearts. Convict us, O oh Lord. Help us to be in the center of your will. We humbly pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now would you stand with me as Aaron comes and leads us in a closing number.